living as last day Christians. Going to be looking at a parable that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 13. The very end of that chapter, Mark chapter 13, and uh, parable. On Sunday, I talked about being a last day Christian, and we looked at uh, Second Peter. We looked at uh, the judgments that God sent upon uh, the fallen angels, upon the world that then was, Noah's world, and of course on Sodom and Gomorrah. But out of that, he saved Noah, and he saved Lot. And uh, Noah's a great example of someone that... Uh, was faithful and blameless and strong and shining his light and living above reproach and making a difference. Lot is uh, an example, really, of a uh, of a believer that blended in and that compromised, and yet the Lord was good to him by rescuing him out of that coming judgment. So I want to take a look at this, continue this theme. I'm going to teach a, again on being a last day Christian on Sunday. And then my wife and I are going on vacation, and so Luke's going to be ministering on being a last-day Christian on the next two Sundays after that. So it's, it's a series that we're going through. But Mark chapter 13, verse 32 to 37, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country... So the man is Jesus going off to heaven, who left his house, house, and gave authority to his servants, authority, and to each his work, work, and commanded the doorkeeper, the doorkeeper. So I'm going to talk about those four things, the house, the authority, the work, and the doorkeeper, to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, which would be 9 p.m. at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, 3 a.m., or in the morning, that'd be 6 a.m. Those are the four watches. Not sure when he's coming. Lest coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. Well, I believe the coming of the Lord is kind of like two parts to it. And I think you have to have to look, kind of look at it that way to understand the different teachings of Scripture. Otherwise, they seem contradictory. But the, the coming of the Lord is in two segments. The first is for his church, which is an imminent coming. You don't need the signs as a thief in the night. And the second is the coming of the Lord to the earth, which needs all the prophecies to be fulfilled. That's not imminent, That part of the second coming is not imminent, but the first part is what we would call the catching away of the bride or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, some call it the rapture of the church. So I believe that the Bible teaches us that that is imminent. Imminent meaning it can come tonight. I think the Bible teaches the imminent return of Jesus Christ. You've heard of that, right? The imminent return of Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe in, in the catching away of the church as part of the coming of the Lord, and you only believe the coming of the Lord is him coming to this earth, then it's not imminent. Why do I say that? Well, there's no abomination of desolation. There's no man of sin. There's no antichrist. There's no Armageddon. I mean, all these things have to come to pass before the Lord returns to this earth a second time. And uh, right now we don't see these things happening. And so he's not coming. He can't come tonight because those prophecies have still yet to be fulfilled, right? 
But the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church, the first aspect of his coming, that is imminent. There's not a single prophecy that needs to come to pass for the Lord to descend from heaven with the voice and the shout of the archangel and the trump of God and to call us up to be with him. There's not a single prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for that to take place. That's why we call that the imminent return. It could happen tonight. And if it happens tonight, all of a sudden that sets that time clock for the Lord's return to this earth, which we will return with him. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is we're caught up to be with the Lord. Revelation 19, his saints return with him to this earth. As soon as we're caught up to be with the Lord, that, that timetable just kicks in. Those prophecies will roll away and, and come to pass and, and be fulfilled. So that's how I look at I know eschatology has a lot of different viewpoints on it. If I stepped on your toes, I'm sorry about that. But as I've studied it all these years, that's how I look at it. Uh, Jesus says this. I want to ask you this question. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when Jesus was on this earth, he did not know when he would return a second time. And when I say that, it's in two parts. His return is in two parts. To the clouds, where we're called to be with him, and then the second part, to the earth, when we return with him, all right? He did not even know. He did not even know. Well, he's God on this earth, but when he was on this earth, he humbled himself, right? He humbled himself and became a man. And so I believe that when Jesus was on this earth, he did not know when he would return a second time. He even says he doesn't, right? He says he doesn't. He did not know. Why is that? Because when he was on this earth, he humbled himself and only exercised his divine powers and attributes in submission to his Father's will. Now, one of the attributes of God is omniscience, right? He's all-knowing. So Jesus is God. Of course he knows when he's going to return because he's God and God knows all things. But when he was on this earth, he was also man, and he only exercised his omniscience in submission to the Father only at certain times when he was on this earth. Does that make sense? So when he's on this earth, he voluntarily surrendered that divine omniscience and did not know, but I also believe this, he has now ascended and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's a faithful, eternal high priest. He is God Almighty, and he has all the omniscience that he needs as God, and Jesus now knows. Some people say, does Jesus now know? Yes, I believe he knows now. You know, we pray, we pray right? And Jesus, the Bible says we can come to that throne of grace and we can approach a merciful, faithful high priest who can give us grace to help in time of trouble, right? And so Jesus as God, we pray to him as the son of God and he then can come to our aid and assist us and help us, right? He can answer prayer. So he has to be omniscient and omnipotent right now to answer our prayers. Am I right about that? Absolutely. So if he has all omniscience now in heaven, then of course he knows. Does that make sense? And, and if I stepped on your toes on that one, I'm sorry again, but uh, that's just what I'm saying. How should we live as last day Christian? Some say we don't know when Jesus is coming, so it doesn't really matter. 
And doesn't the Bible say in the last days there'll be scoffers that'll mock that coming? Oh, you've been saying that, been saying that, been saying that. You know, people that don't know the Lord, you know, they mock Christians, our belief in the coming of the Lord, right? And some Christians, they fall into like a, a spiritual apathy. They don't live their life as if Jesus is coming back and that they'll be caught up to be with him and that they will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ and give account. They don't live their life that way. Some say we don't know when Jesus is coming, so we must find out and set a date. Well, I don't think we should do that either. And when Jesus talks about no one knows the day nor the hour, you know, I've heard preachers say, well, we don't know the exact day, like uh, August 30th and, uh, at, and the hour at 6 a.m., but we can know he's coming uh, on, on August, between August 29th and August 31st. That's not the day or the hour, but we can, no, you know what? Every time they do that, they always miss it. They always miss it. I remember that I came up in 85, and uh, we were in the little building on the corner that's since been torn down. Yeah, Mike and Sue are here. Lorna, you're here. And I'm not sure if we have any others, if Ted Hill is here tonight, that were there. Of course, my wife was there with me. And uh, yeah, that book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. Do you remember that? And he set the date. And uh, he caught the, the church by storm, and uh, he had great reasons. The 88 reasons were great, and, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm a young pastor, 29, I think, at the time, and uh, a lot of people, we were a small church, but a lot of people in the church were concerned about this and asked me, Pastor, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I remember, I don't know, do you, I spoke on it on a Sunday night. I don't know if you guys remember it, about that book and 88 Reasons. And I say, I don't believe this at all. I don't, he's setting a date. You're not supposed to set a date. I find some problems with this. I don't believe he's coming back in 1988 like he says. And, you know, people listened and some bought into it, some didn't. And I don't think he came back. <laughs> Did he come back? I don't think he came back. But they're always doing that, right? And I always stay away from that. Always stay away from that. Some say we don't know when Jesus is coming, so we must watch, pray, and be ready. That's what I say. If the Lord Jesus' return is imminent, and it can come as a thief in the night, it can come tonight, right now, tomorrow. We're not sure. Therefore, let us watch. Let us pray. Let's live a life of readiness because he can come at any moment. That's what this parable is all about. How shall we live as last day Christians? Well, he talked about here in Mark chapter 13, he talks about take heed, watch and pray. Verse 24, it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and the house of God, we'll call that the local church. The house of God, the local church. Now, listen what it says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Every pastor's favorite verse. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day Day is capitalized there in the New King James because it was referring to the 
coming of the Lord. This is, and we'll say Paul wrote Hebrews. Okay, we'll just say that. Maybe it was Apollos, who knows. But we'll say Paul. So Paul writing to these Christians, first century Christians, they believed that Christ's return was imminent. First century Christians. And of course, we're 20 20th or 21st century Christians, and we still are believing in the imminent return of Christ. But he says, as you see the day approaching, consider and, and encourage and assemble together how important it is to be committed to the house because the day is approaching. And so when the day is approaching, we watch and pray for two things. We watch and pray for the Lord's return, and we also watch and pray for the enemy breaking in. Right? It's, it goes both ways. We watch and pray because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. We watch and pray because he is coming back, and we will give account at the judgment seat of Christ. So we better purify our lives, right? First John chapter 3 talks about every man that hath this hope in him, the coming of the Lord, purifies himself even as he is pure. So the coming of the Lord and the promise of his soon return should motivate us to good works, to commitment to the house, to purifying our lives, to sanctification, to being godly, to being faithful, right? It should motivate that. But also we watch and pray because the Bible talks about the enemy breaking in. The enemy breaking in. So we watch and pray, and Peter talks about this. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the roaring li- is like a, a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And so we are watching and praying, being vigilant because of the enemy, but also watching and praying for the coming of the Lord. Coming of the Lord. And it's so important to be committed to the house. Committed to the house. That's what the book of Hebrews talks about. And so much the more as you see that day approach. Why so much the more? Because as that day approaches, the closer it gets, the enemy's activity and the increase of sin, right, and the lawlessness and the darkness is going to get that much more severe. So the closer the Lord's coming, uh, is coming, the closer it gets, it's like a woman in labor. We, uh, the, 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 the labor pains are more frequent and getting stronger before the birth of the coming of the Lord takes place. So as that day approaches... There needs to be a love for the house, a commitment to the house, a giving of, our, of ourselves and our tithes and offerings to the house. The house. How important it is, right? And the scripture says uh, before his return, there'll be a great falling away. A great falling away. And I just read uh, an article last week. Because of COVID, the attendance to the House of God in America, church attendance, has fallen over 12% from what it was pre-COVID. In other words, people that 
attended church, then COVID happened, and then they have not yet re-engaged back into church. They've left off their faithful attendance, their commitment to, their participation in, the giving of the tithes and offerings. And this is very, very dangerous because it's the banana separated from the bunch that gets peeled. Right? In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the Amalekites attacked them, but they didn't attack the whole group. Who'd they attack, according to the Scriptures? Those that were lagging behind. The stragglers. The stragglers. And so we consider one another, we provoke one another, we encourage one another. There's safety in the house. The word is preached, worship is, is, is expressed, there's accountability, there's uh, the shepherding uh, ministry, there's the body ministry. How important it is. You know, since COVID, uh, people still love the head, Jesus, but they don't like his body, the church. Uh, boy, we need to make sure we're not that way. Am I right about that? We need to be committed, committed, praise the Lord. Committed to the house. The second thing he says is to exercise his authority. Verse 34, he gave authority to his servants. So Jesus loves to give authority to servants, to humble servants. And his authority that he gives to us, he goes away, but he's coming back again. He goes away. He says, all authority has been given unto me, and now I give to you. Authority essentially to do two things, to overcome the evil one and to advance the gospel or to fulfill the Great Commission. So living as a last-day Christian, you got to be committed to the house, involved in the house, participating in the house, supporting the house, loving the house. Am I right about that? The house. And then living as a last-day Christian, he gives you authority. You need to be overcoming the enemy. And also, he says, all authority is given unto me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So, as last-day Christians, we need to make sure we're overcoming the enemy by the authority in Jesus' name and also evangelizing the Great Commission in Jesus' name, right? Some scriptures here. In Luke ten nineteen, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So we have authority, divine authority, his authority. And I like that. Serpents and scorpions. How do you kill serpents and scorpions? You step on them. I mean, they're, they're, the, type of, they're the type of creatures that you step on to kill, right? So they're under our thing. I mean... Uh, bears and tigers. You don't step on them to kill them. You shoot them. But serpents and scorpions, you step on them. And Jesus said, the enemy, the devil, they're like serpents and scorpions, and they're supposed to be under our feet. And so living as the last day Christians, the last thing we need to be is overcome by evil, taken captive by the enemy, bound by his power. We need to make sure we, we are exercising his authority and living victorious, overcoming lives. Somebody say amen to that. And I think in the last days, the Bible talks about doctrines and devils and seducing spirits. 
I think in the last days there will be a ramping up of demonic activity. A ramping up of demonic activity against you personally, into your home, against your children, against your marriage. The devil loves to attack foundations. The foundation of the Word of God, right? He loves to attack the Word of God and sow doubt. The foundation of marriage, is that under attack or what? Absolutely. The foundation of sexuality, male and female, he created them, he made them. And our culture is so perverse and deceived that we can't even define what a woman is anymore. Because he attacks these foundations. The word of God, marriage, our own sexual identity. And so I think in the last days, the the enemy, he gets stronger and more bold and more aggressive. But we have been given, he left to went to heaven, but he gave us his authority, authority over the evil one, so we can exercise that authority. Somebody say amen to that. And he's given us authority to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what it says in Matthew 28. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so the the Great Commission, I think, I look at it this way. We need to be a go-and-tell church and a come-and-see church. You know, when, was it Philip or Andrew that, that spoke to his brother and said, come and see? Come and see. He started telling him about the Messiah. Well, come and see. Come and see. That's inviting. You invest in a relationship and you invite them to church. Come and see what the Lord is doing. Come and see Jesus here at the church. Come. You invite them to come. And to experience the presence of God, to hear the word of God, to experience the love of God here at church. Come and see. But it's not just come and see where you invite them to come into our local assembly, but also you go and tell. Go and tell. And that's, that's what we did, uh, the, the testimonies. They, we went and told them, right, down in Mexico City, and we're going to these six communities on Friday, and we're going to where they're at, and we're going to tell them or share with them the love of Jesus, the the gospel message. So we need to be an inviting church, and I'm going to raise up, with the Lord's help, 100 people that will join me from this church every week inviting somebody to come and see. So you'd be praying about that. Every week, you invite somebody to come and see what the Lord is doing. So, God has given us authority. He's gone to heaven. He's given us his authority to overcome the enemy and also to preach the gospel, to share the good news, to go into all the world. Amen to that? And that's what we need to be doing. And that's what we are doing. Praise the Lord. That's what we are doing. So let me ask you this. How are you involved in the going and telling or the come and see? How are you involved in that? Well, like I said, we have 110 involved on 
Friday night, we had 36 involved on short-term missions to Mexico. So if you add those two up, that's almost 150 in the past couple weeks that are involved from our church in this. And it's more that we can be involved. I tell you what, Jesus is coming back, and we're supposed to watch and pray. He's given us authority. And when he comes back, may we be the last day Christians that are committed to his house and being faithful in the Great Commission and faithful in overcoming the enemy. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Amen. What's the next thing I see here? He gave us a work to do, right? Verse 24, to each his work. God gives each one of us a work to do, a special work, a God-assigned purpose. You are not responsible to do someone else's work. You're supposed to do, be busy about the work that he's given you to do. Now, work is like a four-letter word to some, but we need to work for the Lord, right? When my wife, when, when the Lord spoke to my wife, you will marry a man of God, and together you will work for the Lord. And has that happened? I work you to death, don't I? I'm just working you and working you. But it's not me working you. It's the Lord. It's the Lord working you. Just work, work, work. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. We, we used to sing that hymn down at uh, First Baptist Church. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. Remember, I just sing that and had a call of God in my life. I'm just like 19, 20 years of age and I was just all in. That just filled my heart. Lord, I just want to work for you. I just want to serve you. I want to be involved in your work. I want to do your will, your purpose. I, I believe it was Dr. John that was talking about how, you know, there's a lot of things that can fulfill us out there that we can give ourselves to that have purpose to it, but nothing satisfies and fulfills feels us like working for the Lord, accomplishing his will, doing his work, that when we stand before God in heaven, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I love that. Working for the Lord. There's different ways you can work for the Lord. Your work always involves glorifying God. Your work will always involve, in some sense, seeking and saving the lost because Jesus came to seek and save, so you're joining him in his work, right? Your work always involves using your gifts and talents for the Lord. Like Kathy, you know, you you took the four scissors. You took four, not five, not three, but four, right? And you used your talent, haircutting, beautician, what what do you call it, hair styling, Okay, very good. I go to a barber, so I'm I'm not sure about that. But anyway, she used that to share the love of Jesus, to serve, so that they might their heart might be opened to Jesus. And you know, Jesus gave the parable of the talents, and then when he returns, and then we give account for how we used those talents, those gifts those spirit-given abilities for him. And the one buried it, buried it. Like the person has the beautiful voice, but they won't use it to lead others in worship. The ones that are called to preach, but they run from the call. 
those that have organizational ability or administrative skills, but they're just so busy doing their own thing. Well, Jesus has gone to heaven, and he gave each of us a work to do. And I know that work, obviously, is loving family, loving your spouse. I realize that's part of the work as well. But there's another part of the work is join to his house. Join to his house, right? We, we, we believe that you need to join a group, join a team that serves, and join the church. And it's in exercising those gifts and getting in relationship and coming to the house of the Lord on a regular, consistent basis. And if you do those things, discipleship takes place. God works in you in relationships, in serving, in the house to teach and instruct and to grow you. Last thing I want to be is, you know, it tells us in the book of Corinthians, some people, they're, they're believers and they build their life not really with gold, silver, and precious stones, but with wood, hay, and stubble. And then the, the fire of judgment at the judgment seat of Christ happens. God judges them. It's all burned up, yet they are saved, yet so as by fire. Believers, they go into heaven, but what they did for the Lord down here didn't amount much to anything. Kind of reminds me of Lot. A righteous man, taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, of coming judgment, but he lost just about everything. He lost just about everything. I don't want to be saved where I'm ashamed at his coming. The Bible talks about those that, that are ashamed at his coming because of how they live their life as a believer. So we are to work for the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ is about your work and your gifts for the Lord. Have you buried your gifts or neglected the work of the Lord? So we talked about the house. We talked about authority. We talked about the work that he's given each one of us to do. And what he's called you to do is different than what he's called me to do. But we both need to be faithful, right? And finally, he talks about this doorkeeper. The doorkeeper. And I realize uh, Jesus gave a, a story where he was the door, right? But obviously he's gone to heaven and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So I want to talk about the idea of a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper stands at the door to the house. And he guards that door and only allows things into the house... That, are, that will be a blessing, and it keeps things out of the house that would destroy it. Right? Guards the door, things going out, things coming in, things going out, things coming in. The doorkeeper. And so the doorkeeper guards the door of the house. So what's the house? Well, the house is the local church. Obviously, that's one. But that's not the only house. The Bible says that you are a house. You individually are a house. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? You are a house, right? So you're a house. And so you're the doorkeeper of your house, your personal relationship with God. You have to guard your life, right? You have to guard your life. So you're a house. Then your marriage and family is a house. 
We call it a household. A household. And so they're your, mom and dad, you're the doorkeeper to your family. Husbands, you're the doorkeeper to your marriage. Pastors, you're the doorkeeper to the church. We all need to guard the house that the Lord's given us. My personal house, I'm the doorkeeper to our marriage as the husband. My wife and I were raising our children. We, we were the doorkeeper to our family. Does this make sense? The doorkeeper. And the problem is sometimes in these parables with doorkeepers is they fall asleep. They fall asleep. Uh, I think he, he mentions that, right? Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Isn't that when we normally sleep during that time? Lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And so, asleep. Asleep. You know, a couple of weeks ago I said we are to... Awake, arise, and shine. Darkness puts us to sleep. And the Bible says in the last days there will be darkness that will cover the earth. Darkness. It puts us to sleep. We get used to the darkness. And when darkness comes, we get used to it. And then what happens is we, we get in a comfortable position. We begin to relax. And then when we relax in a comfortable position, we close our eyes. And then what do we do? We fall asleep. And when we fall asleep, the enemy can just come in. And so that's why it says, watch, be vigilant. Your adversary is walking about. So be on the watch for the spiritual attacks and also live your life in a, state, in, in a state of watchfulness for the coming of the Lord. Let me read to you some scriptures. Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When it says the coming of the Lord is at hand, it's, it's right, right here. See, the early church lived with a sense of imminency. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. When he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We are living in serious times, perilous times, challenging times, dark times. The enemy is there all around us. We need to be alert, awake, spiritually. Amen. Amen. Amen? That's how we're supposed to live as last day Christians. We need to take this thing, this Christian life, in all seriousness. And not shut our eyes to the dangers that are constantly lurking that can come into our house personally, our marriage, our family, our church. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word and pray, Lord, that you just cemented in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that tonight we heard all these great testimonies of people going and telling.
going and telling. And Lord, on Friday night as we go and tell, oh, bless the work of our hands, I pray. Help us be a great commission church. And Lord, I pray that you raise up 100 people in our church that will say, you know what? Every single week, I'm going to say to somebody, come and see, to invite them to come and see the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Lord, if you're convicting anybody right now about their lifestyle, about their choices, about their commitments, oh, Lord, just drive it deep right now by the Spirit of the Lord. I just trust you, Lord, to make this real in our hearts. Touch us uh, as only you can as a sovereign spirit, Lord. You took this word, and, Lord, you you can just touch it in a certain area that I didn't even address, Lord. That's what the Spirit of God does. But, Lord, use this word to bring correction and encouragement to us to awaken us. I pray, Lord, that Cornerstone might be a church that is wide awake. Wide awake. Busy working and serving the Lord. Taking the things of God in all seriousness. This is not a game we're playing. Eternal life, souls are at stake. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. Can we do that? Hey, great to have you out on Wednesday night again. God bless you.